the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred two pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. Good evening, and welcome to the Andrea K Show. My name is Wendy Patrick. Obviously, I'm not Andrea Kay, but I am filling in for her tonight. Maybe I'm also dynamite in a dress. She would probably say that. Well, you are in for an exciting show. We are officially in the home stretch of the election. I cannot believe what a wild ride this has been. We knew back when we first started this journey that we would just need to fasten our seatbelts. And sure enough, we are hurtling towards a finish line. But the question on the minds of Americans today is, will it really be a photo finish? Is Joe Biden really up in the polls as much as we think in terms of margins of error and perhaps much more importantly to the American voters, are those polls to be trusted? Now, we are all very curious about this, given the results from 2016, but those are different results for several reasons. First of all, Mrs. Clinton was not nearly as far ahead in the polls as Joe Biden appears to be. But I want to emphasize that word appears, because it's also true that we are so politically divisive nowadays that we probably don't know how much weight to put on some of the polling that we are looking at. In other words, are there more stealth voters nowadays and are there much more stealth voter nowadays because of the political divisiveness? I mean, I did a segment not long ago on the fact that people are even afraid to put out yard signs stating that they're voting for the president because they don't want their home being vandalized or their family being threatened. So as we talk about this path to victory, that we are apparently on, no matter what candidate you're supporting. Let's talk a little bit about what that's looked like in the last couple of days. And I'm gonna welcome in a guest to help me do that in just a minute. But one of the things that I'm gonna ask our, our guest to help me, uh, let's say, uh, disentangle in terms of all of the different news stories that I've read about this, is, is it really true what the president has been saying and what he really emphasized in the debate last week, that Joe Biden is all talk, no action? Is that true? Is that fair? And is this comparison of 47 years versus 47 months, as the president keeps saying, are those just sound bites or are those specifics that we can actually back up in terms of what our president has done for the country in the last 47 months? So one of the first things I'm gonna ask our guest about is, you know, are there still people out there that haven't voted and are they perhaps enough to make up the difference? Well, my guest tonight is Mark Williams, and Mark Williams is a seasoned professional. For nearly two decades, he has been dynamic and high energy. He's been chief of staff to, to many important politicians. 
one of the things that he's done is played a significant role in 11 winning house races. That is very impressive. And he was actually handpicked by the GOP conference to lead the high profile intelligent committee investigation into Russia's influence in the 2016 presidential election. That is an enormous honor. Um, he's worked in a number of other capacities, working with the armed service, transportation, infrastructure, budget, education, workforce commissions. I could go on and on, but I do have to tell you that one of the most um, impressive things to me on Mark's resume is that in his spare time, emphasis intended, he has successfully completed three Ironman triathlons and raised over $40,000 for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in conjunction with each race. Woo, I am tired just reading that bio. Um, so I don't know where in all of that you also find time to be the head coach of your son's youth soccer team and be married with two kids. So Mark Williams, welcome to the show. Oh, Wendy, thanks so much for having me on. I'm going to uh, have you call my mom here with that with that introduction. Thanks. I would be I glad it. to. You know what? We're going to send you a recording of the show, and I want you to play it for her. <laughs> oh, for, for sure. For sure. So play it for all of her friends. It's going to be great. I'm going to be right. here for Christmas. So, Mark, one of the things I want to start with, given that we're so close to Election Day, is given the polling numbers, we've all seen them, we've all dissected them, and we've all debated them. Do you think, and I suppose this is probably the biggest question on the minds of most Americans in terms of who's going to win, do you think they're accurate and do you think they're reflective of what we're actually going to see in terms of election results? I, look, here's the deal with the, with the poll results. I, I don't know how we can believe them. Like, what have pollsters done in the past four years to, to, to lead us on a path that we're, we're supposed to believe them? They got it so wrong four years ago, right? So, and, and I've told people as I've, as I've done a lot of this, uh, you know, punditry over the, the past couple of months in the, in the lead up to election, like I don't think there's a group that has more on the line than the pollsters because they got it, it, it was so bad and so wrong um, four, four years ago. So, you know, I think you take it with a grain of salt. Obviously there's science behind what they do. Um, now, are they, I will tell you, there, there are Democrats who they will say, Look, they're going to get it right this time because they're focused on the on the parts where they weren't focused last time, right? They're focused on the Michigans, the Wisconsin's, the Minnesotas. That's where they got it so so wrong last time. But I, I got to tell you, I, I I think it's it's up in the air whether whether they have their their thumb on the pulse of this thing right now. Well, that's an interesting observation. You're absolutely right. They really were just raked over the coals last time for getting it so wrong. How could you not have known? How could you have been so off? I mean, I don't know if I remember it like it was yesterday, the footage of the president when he was told that he won in 2016, he looked more surprised than anybody. And I think that that may have actually changed the ways in which some of these polls are done. And so with that in mind, we one thing we've noticed in the last week since the last debate is Joe Biden's really been hitting the campaign trail. He has been going to states that many people have believed he probably thought that he had shored up votes wise. So I wonder whether or not that strategy is as a result of exactly what you mentioned, that maybe there's something more to these polls behind the scenes that isn't being reflected in the numbers. 
Oh, I, th- I, I think they're worried, right? And and they had to walk a, a very fine line to keep in, by keeping Joe Biden in his basement and getting him out and about among among the people. And I think because you've seen the you've seen the polls, you know, inch closer and closer and closer to to the president. Um, I, I think that's got them shaking in their shoes right now, and that's why they had to get Joe Biden out of the basement and and out on the campaign trail. Because to, to be quite honest with you, I thought they I I think they thought they could. Uh, they could keep them kind of closed up, closed off for, for you know, the, the rest of this election. And, and that's not going to be the case. Let's talk a little bit about his messaging. And one of the things that people are talking about is now I know we have people in different camps and they're going to dig in their heels and vote Democrat or Republican, regardless of the candidate. Um, but there are also a lot of undecideds that are still out there, as well as people that aren't at least they haven't made up their minds, are they even going to vote? So in terms of sound bites versus specifics, uh, something that characterized the theme of the debate was many times Joe Biden would default to sound bites. He'd look at the camera like he did in the first debate. I think he was a little knocked back on his heels by how well the president was doing. I mean, think about the way the president came out of the gate. He was tanned and toned down, and he probably <laughs> made a little more of a splash than Joe Biden would have liked. So in this last push, in the states that he's visiting, he basically has to counter the president's very presidential tone. He played offense without being offensive. Do you think the message that Joe Biden is carrying to the states and on the campaign trail, now that, as you say, he's out of the basement and out and about, is that resonating enough with the undecideds? Or is it just sort of the fact that they're seeing him to begin with that might account for the polling as it's now being taken? I mean, I think that um, it, it, it's difficult for, for, for Biden because he wanted to position himself as just not being Donald Trump, right? And if he, if he didn't have to be out there, he wasn't going to have to be substantive and he wasn't going to be asked the hard questions. And that's what you're seeing right now is that there's, finally a vetting of Joe Biden going on, right? You're seeing that about fracking. You're seeing that about court packing. He hasn't had to answer tough questions up until this point of the campaign, which is ludicrous because we're a week out. That's right. Now, the, the all of the news about Hunter Biden, it's just now beginning to break more than ever. The, you know, his uh, business partner is being interviewed. There's There's more information now than there was before. How much do Americans care about that? One thing that came up at the debate, and you know that Joe Biden had this in his pocket, and he used it as he should have. Shouldn't be about his family. Shouldn't be about my family. It's about your family. Unfortunately, he used it more than once, and that reminded me a little bit of Marco Rubio in the first debate. But uh, I digress. Do you think that his uh, family problems that also implicates him and what he knew uh, is actually going to sway voters, especially Democrats or undecideds, in this election? I don't know if it will, but it should. And because I believe that it should, I think that's why you're seeing this media blackout of Hunter Biden's business associate. I think that's why you're seeing big tech not allow the New York Post story to, to be posted on Twitter, right? If you look at what's happening uh, in conjunction with this Hunter Biden story, there is a massive amount of censorship that's going on in, in, in the media and big tech. And I, I find it a little bit nauseating, to be honest with you. I They are so petrified of a Comey email scandal happening here here at the end. And that's exactly what this Hunter Biden story is. Yeah. No, I think you're... 
think you're right about that. And, um, you know, we're going to switch gears a little bit in the second segment in just a minute. But I, I do want to say it is a fascinating, uh, it's been a fascinating race to watch. And as we go through this last week, it is true that there are some people that enjoy fulfilling their civic duty in person, going to the polls, getting their I voted sticker. And it'll be interesting to see how much what happens in the next five days will implicate that process. So stick with us. You are listening to The Andrea K Show. I am Wendy Patrick filling in for my good friend, AK. Stick with us. We will be back in a flash. AK, Dynamite and Address, or just Andrea K. Whatever you call her, don't call her fake news. It's The Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Andrea K, bringing the world a much needed reality check. You're listening to The Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to The Andrea K Show. I'm Wendy Patrick filling in for Andrea K. We are talking politics, as you might imagine, with an election five days away. I can't believe we are so close. Yet there is still much more to be done, as is evidenced by the effort that both candidates are putting in to their campaigning. They are out on the trail. They're working, according to Joe Biden, 12-hour days, although I think the president always works a 12-hour day. In fact, that might be a light day for him, given the schedule that he shares with us and the amount of hours we see him up and about and on Twitter. But one thing that we can't forget to incorporate into our analysis of who's going to win, what are the undecideds going to do, are people going to vote, is last week's debate. Now, the first debate was a debacle. I think there's bipartisan support on that analysis. But the same cannot be said for the debate last week. It was markedly different in both tone and substance. It was a phenomenal study in contrast, and I have to say, I think the big winner of last week's debate was the American people, because for the very first time, they were able to hear some specifics, not just sound bites, about what each candidate would do. And many people think that inured to the benefit of Donald Trump because Joe Biden actually ended up making some statements that he then tried to walk back. The president made some statements that he should have made during the course of the first debate. So when you think about the way people who haven't yet voted are going to react, Mark, I'd love love to hear your thoughts on this. But let's break that group into two categories, shall we? First are the undecideds. These are people who've been on the fence. They're not really sure which way they want to vote. Maybe they're waiting till the very last minute. They love going through the experience of listening to everything they can and educating themselves as best they can before they head to the ballot box. The second class of people that haven't voted probably always have voted either Democrat or Republican, but haven't gotten around to casting a ballot. Now, some of those people probably didn't vote in 2016, and maybe they would have voted Democrat, and maybe they wish that they had voted, probably because they they thought the polls were so heavily weighted towards their candidate, they didn't need to take the time to either request a ballot, even fill one out, or go to the polls. Now, those people may be in the same scenario this year, but maybe are even extra incentivized not to vote because they think Joe Biden's so far ahead. 
So let me ask you first about the undecideds. Now, I don't know about you, but there were points in last week's debate that almost seemed like the president versus the politician, given the fact that Joe Biden did default on several occasions to his sound bites. Now, maybe those sound bites resonate with a lot of Americans. In fact, I'm sure they do. But how do you think last week's debate impacted the undecideds who you have to believe we're watching? Well, it, I think that it, it definitely um, impacted the undecideds, right? Especially if they've watched both debates. I think if they watched the first one, and look, I've seen some of the analysis, you know, from Frank Luntz, who who did the uh, who does the dials with the with, with the people live during the debates, um, and they were turned off by the president's rhetoric, rhetoric and interrupting in in the first debate. So I think the the Trump campaign kind of breathed a sigh of relief to see him more measured and going after Joe Biden's policies in, in the second debate. And I think that helps with the undecided. I think they, they wanted to see, you know, the, the book on, on Donald Trump and, and what people have always said about it, um, what, they, what they may not like about him is that he's, he, his rhetoric, right? Or that he's, he, he, he's too loud all the time. I think he was able to, to measure that a, a little bit, right? And so I love that he was able to to make Joe Biden a product of the swamp, right? He he's been in he's been up there 47 years, and he doesn't have much of a record to to lean on. What I really loved, like, I, and I think that the president needs to do more of, is Joe Biden says I'm going to do X, and he's like, you were there eight years. Why didn't you do X when you were there eight years? I think that is a a massive um, a massively good play for for the president. I think he needs to hone in more on that. All talk, no action. How many times did you hear the president say that? Not only during the debate, but afterwards. And that's what I mean. It was almost like the president versus the incumbent politician. Because while sure. the president's been there for almost four years, Joe Biden was there for eight years. And like the president keeps emphasizing, he has been in the system for 47 years. So it's rhetoric, not results. That was the theme of the debate. That's been the theme of the campaign, although, as you mentioned, sometimes the president gets sidetracked and that's not good for his campaign. It's not good for results. And it's also not good to not be able to play offense without being offensive. I mean, think about it. The president is a bull in a China shop, but he can't be a bully. And that's the way he came across during the force, uh, during the first debate. So a couple other things that I think really resonated. And I, I wonder whether or not this actually will sway some of the undecideds. This operation warp speed, the vaccine. Now you can't blame the, can't blame the coronavirus on the president. Yet that's exactly what many people are trying to do. Even though he shut the borders right away from people coming in from China, even though he's done lots of things to try to control the spread of it. Um, he came around to wearing masks partially because he contracted the coronavirus. But uh, it was even before then that he was finally listening to the authorities and recognizing this is a significant danger and we have to treat this uh, accordingly. Do you think him having actually contracted and fought the virus over a weekend, mind you, humanized him in a sense uh, to some of even the detractors that are arguing that he's responsible for all of these deaths in America because he didn't know enough about it, didn't do enough right out of the gate. Is that a fair argument to continue to make? I, I say no, but I think they'll continue to make it because they want to lay this stri straight at the president's feet because they will use kind of whatever card that they have to to unseat him. They've been trying to do it for four years, right? First, they were using the, the Russia hoax card 
then they were using Brett Kavanaugh, then impeachment, right? It's whatever card they have at the time, they're going to continue to play because they had this t- four-year temper tantrum against Donald Trump. And so I, I agree, yes, I think it humanizes him. He was able to um, relate to people who have, who have had the virus by having it himself, but Democrats will, will, will never give him that. You know, and Melania had a tough time of it too. And then of course, they were both so concerned that Barron, young Barron even tested positive. And, you know, right. sometimes it, that humanizing force is important. But given that I'm a trial lawyer, I always like to present both sides. <laughs> Joe Biden is very likable as well. And there is a, a, a school of thought that compares him to Hillary Clinton and finds him far more likable than Hillary Clinton. And also it's true that he has been able over the years to be both empathetic and sympathetic. He's lost some of his children and loved ones. So he's actually experienced a lot of what he brings to the table in terms of actually knowing what Americans go through at the kitchen table and what it sounds like and feels like and looks like to lose someone. He capitalized on that very well through the COVID crisis and did that also very well during the debate. However, on the other side of the coin, it is also true that the president was able to emphasize all of his accomplishments over the last four years. The implication being that there's more to come. He talked about bringing energy independence to America, criminal justice reform, prison reform, a lot of the kinds of things that should appeal and actually do appeal to both sides of the aisle. Is his personality enough to outweigh the incredible gains? I mean, let's put job growth in there as well, not to mention the the enormous economic advantage that Americans had going into the pandemic and no doubt will have again. Uh, His efforts to reopen the economy in order to make sure that more small businesses don't go under, more people don't lose their jobs. Is all of that enough to overcome the personality negatives that we hear emphasized each and every day? You you would think that it would be. And and for me, the success that the president has had over the past four years are are enormous. You you ticked off some of them, right? Some of the criminal justice reform, several free trade agreements. He's got China to the trade table. I mean, there are Middle East peace agreements on his watch, not to mention three Supreme, not to mention three Supreme Court justices. So there are enormous, enormous victories for the president. The problem that he faces is that there is a faction in this country that just will never support him and they will continue to make the put the rest of us in pain until they remove him from office. And, And, you know, along those, I I think that's right. And I think that's I think that's one of the reasons that there was so much emphasis put on the vice president debate when they had that. They were viewed not just as surrogates, but as potential substitutes. Now, not that 70 something is old, as both candidates are in their 70s. Not that that's true at all, but still it's something to think about which distinguishes this election from prior elections when the candidates were younger. And one of the things that characterized the vice presidential debate is they almost were slipping up at times in referring to themselves and what they would do, um, almost as if this is something that had been discussed behind the scenes. Now, of course, neither of them would touch that question it was asked, and you can't blame them for that. But how much emphasis and how much weight do you suppose that the running mates of both the president and Joe Biden will have on the voters? I'm not sure that it does. And I always refer to the vice president's debate as the, as the JV game, right? No one, no one really watches it unless their kids are involved. 
Um, but I, I will say the, the, the most poignant thing for me was the fact that Kamala Harris is so far left and the fact that she is, could be next in line. Joe Biden, as much as he tries to pivot to the center and say, I'm not beholden to the AOCs of the world, I'm not beholden to, to all these progressives, he absolutely is. You can see it in his rhetoric on fracking and, and on down the line, right? <laughs> and so he's Yeah, and I, I to, think that's really, no, I think that's well, really he, important. He, and go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, he's trying to pivot away for it, but he is so beholden to that group that you, we can't be oblivious to it. And that's why I think the vice president debate was, was important because the fact of the matter is they're both old, but there's not going to be a diametrical change if, if, if Mike Pence takes over for, for Donald Trump, right? Like that, that's still the same lane. However, if Kamala Harris takes over for Joe Biden, that's a big change in, in politics and philosophy. And hold that thought over the break, because that's exactly uh, one of the topics I want to discuss next. But this is this is very stimulating observations. Thank you for your analysis. You are listening to The Andrea K Show. I am Wendy Patrick filling in for my good friend, AK. Stick with us, and we're going to continue to analyze what in the world is going to happen five days from now. You are listening to The Andrea K Show. Back in a flash. News, politics, and current events. It's the Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Andrea K, telling you like it is, all while eating a donut, too. It's the Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Good evening and welcome back to the Andrea K Show. I'm Wendy Patrick filling in for my good friend AK. And I'm not eating a donut during the show, but I'll probably have one afterwards. So we are right now talking about the most important thing on Americans' minds tonight. And that has got to be the election. But I say that, I cue it up that way on purpose, because is the election itself really the most important thing or the kitchen table issues that matter most to Americans, the most important thing? And if so, why shouldn't that completely govern a choice of candidate? Well, it should. And perhaps that might be, and I'm just guessing here out on a limb, that might be why the most Googled question yesterday was, can I change my vote? Now that just goes to show you what happens if you vote early, like an enormous, significant portion of Americans did. Many of those Americans are now asking, what do they want to do and what can they do? What are their options if they want a do-over, if they want to change their vote? Now, you may think upon just hearing that question, ah, of course you can't change your vote. Well, actually, depending on what state you live in, that is not necessarily true. So let's review the issue and some potential solutions here. Voting, of course, used to be an election day experience. And most of us remember that. Where's our polling place? When do we go? How do we get time off of work? Many of us thought it should have been a work holiday. Maybe someday it will be. Now we are seeing more massive mail-in voting. And that's probably that's part of the problem. People are saying, oh, that lends itself to potential fraud. And how do I know if my ballot's going to be counted? Who's going to count it? What if people vote more than once? What if people that aren't alive anymore are voting? And so on and so forth. So especially during a pandemic, some of those concerns that have always been concerns are even more of a concern. So pandemic polling is somewhat of a problem. Remember, it used to be just five states pre-pandemic did this all mail-in balloting. 
Four more states were now added to the mix and even more people take advantage of absentee balloting, which is very different than mail-in balloting. In fact, even the president votes absentee, very, very different. You have to ask for a ballot, you have to, they verify the signature, lots of different things that distinguish those two things. But what I wanna talk about now is this issue of changing votes, buyer's remorse. You cast a vote for somebody, you watch the debate, and maybe you change your mind. In fact, that was the subject of the president's tweet yesterday. Changing votes means voting for me, is what he said on Twitter. So when you look at the way this is going to work and how it can work, there actually are states that allow the clawback. Seven states allow voters to resubmit ballots. Now, I mean, is this a, a good idea? I mean, Mark, have you heard of this being questioned and asked about in other elections in the past? I know you've been involved in very many campaigns. Have you ever heard of so many people asking about, hey, how can I change my vote? Never. I, I, I've never heard of it. And actually, until we, we talked about it, I didn't even know that it was a thing. I didn't know that you could change your vote down, down the road. Mainly because, right? And, but mainly because we, we've had such a focus on mail-in voting now, and people have done it, you know, a, a month in advance. And look, you know as well as I do that the, the news cycle changes every 30 seconds in the, in the country right now. And, you know, kind of the, the winds of change of who people are going to support are probably happening every 30 seconds as well. But the fact of the matter is that people are Googling this in, you know, swing states like Michigan and Minnesota uh, and Ohio is it's kind of amazing to me. And the fact that they can actually submit a mail-in ballot that says, that says, hey, I voted for X, but then show up on election day and actually submit their vote for, for someone else and have that counted is, is amazing to me. That's right. And, you know, I had to fact check this story uh, several different ways, because when I first heard it as well, I thought, what are they even talking about? But it's true. Now, you cannot do it in California. But there are other states where you can do it with some restrictions. A couple of examples in New York, if you submitted an absentee ballot and then change your mind, you can show up, as you mentioned, during early voting on Election Day and cast a vote, in which case your absentee ballot would be set aside and not counted. You mentioned Michigan, where voters who have sent in a ballot can submit a written and signed request to the voting clerk by 5 p.m. October 30th to request to have the ballot nullified. Now, there are certain different rules in each state. And what I always suggest that our listeners do is look very carefully at what your states allows. Sometimes there's a time deadline. Sometimes there's a deadline regarding, well, if you voted in person, you cannot then re-vote in person. It has to be a matter of first you vote by mail and then you try to replace that. So there's very different restrictions in different states. But what is surprising is the fact that there have been so many people that have asked this question. Now, Mark, that can't possibly be solely due to the debate. And I know people like you and I and some of our listeners, you know, we were glued to the set. We remember every word, kind of like a favorite movie. We can quote it all back. But you have to believe there were some people that didn't watch the debate that also are having buyer's remorse. Do you think there's really enough of those people to make a difference? Well, that, that I don't know, but I think this speaks to the confusion behind mail-in voting, right? As Republicans have said from the beginning, we need to look and, and make sure that mail-in voting is secure and, and can be effective for the American people. Now, of course, Democrats throw up their hands and say, oh, you guys are, are suppressing, suppressing voters if you're not going to let everyone mail in their ballots. And we're like, look, that's not the case. The fact of the matter is there's going to be lots of confusion uh, about the rules of, of mail-in voting. And this, I think this, this speaks exactly to that. Um, 
you know, even kind of an, an, an offshoot of that, you've seen recently the Michigan and Pennsylvania, either lieutenant governors or secretary of states, are now telling people not to mail in their ballots. They're saying you show up at the uh, at, at, on at the polling place on on election day because and, and these are Democrat secretaries of state and, and lieutenant governors who you know are saying look we can't trust the the, the postal service right now we're, we're not sure that your ballots are going to get on time which is exactly what Republicans have been saying from the get go so look I that's right remember when, when Democrats were telling us how how terrible Republicans were for saying hey maybe the U S postal service isn't isn't perfect maybe we shouldn't bank our whole democracy on the Postal Service. I think that's an excellent observation. And, you know, I'm not, I don't know how old you are, but if you're old enough to remember that, I think you're, I think you're probably resonating with uh, lots of us uh, and lots of our listeners that either themselves or through their parents have been discussing the ways in which voting rules have evolved over the years. One thing that we've seen recently that probably distinguishes the last several elections from many others that many of our listeners can recall is election interference issues. The election interference issues that we've discussed collectively, collaboratively sometimes, and accusatorily at other times, have permeated the president's entire term. And just recently, we're learning about some of this again. And I can't help but wonder whether that has something to do with the guidance that's being given, as you point out, even by Democrats, the suggestion that perhaps the safest thing for people to do is actually go to the polls. Now, many people can't go to the polls because they're either immunocompromised, they have underlying health conditions, or they caretake for someone who does. So it's not really an option for them to, to do that sort of risk. But for people that just didn't feel like doing it, can't take off of work, or maybe just don't want to, maybe they never have, do you think that this talk of election interference, even recently, as recently as last week, is that going to impact people, or maybe I should say dissuade them from using a mail-in balloting system if they have the option, that maybe we actually will see more of a turnout in person at the polls? That, that I can't predict. I will say that I feel like people that had their minds made up they were going to do mail-in ballots have already made up their minds and have their ballots in. Right? I, I'm sure there, that there are a bunch kind of in the queue over the next you know, se several days. Um, but I, I feel like the folks who are like, look, I don't feel safe going to a, a polling location for one reason or another have requested their ballots and they have already submitted those. So I, I, I don't know that that's actually going to be the case. I think People well, let me ask you this. You have a broad base of institutional knowledge working on campaigns. Has it been your experience? I think this kind of gets to the answer you were giving. Has it been your experience that people would change their mind about how to vote without a significant reason so close to the election? I, I don't. I, I, I think that people have, have, have staked up their territory, and that's why the margins are so slim in this election. So, I mean, look at the margins in, in the last election. I think we're looking at, at slimmer margins this election of, of the folks that haven't made up their minds um, this close to Election Day. I just I have a hard time believing that there are undecided voters you know, seven, seven days out from an election, however far out we are. Well, you know, we started the, we started the show with talking about the polling and we'll, um, we're going to continue talking about that as well. But one thing that I wondered if you might weigh in on, given the amount of years you've spent uh, in elections, on elections as chief of staff and, and, and everything in between, can we really trust that polling? 
uh, especially given the wide margin of error and but also given how far apart the two candidates are. Is that a trustworthy way to predict the election five days out? No, they haven't earned the benefits of the doubt at this point because they got it so wrong last time. Like, How, how do we even begin to, to build that trust back in, in the polling system? And like I said, at the, at the very beginning of the, of the show, I don't think there's, I mean, aside from American people selecting their president, right, the, the subset that has the biggest stake in this election are pollsters because their, their profession will go away if they get this wrong again. Oh, I think that's a, that's a great observation. Um, and I hope you all stay with us for the last segment because we are going to be talking now, kind of moving along chronologically, about the election results, whichever way they go and what exactly we're going to do about that. And that, by the way, implicates one of the president's accomplishments that he's been touting as what he's accomplished during the 47 months. And that is confirming three, count them, three superior, uh, Supreme Court justices. That is an enormous accomplishment. Now, we're also talking in the last segment, we'll talk a little bit about court packing. What is that? What does it look like? Is it a good idea? Remember this, just a couple of days ago, Joe Biden was opining on rotating Supreme Court justices. So there's all sorts of things we're going to be getting to. Um, so please stick with us. We're going to wind down with another exciting political segment. But you're listening to The Andrea K Show. I am Wendy Patrick filling in for my good friend, AK. Stick with us as we continue to talk politics and an upcoming very important presidential election cycle. Back in just a minute. Andrea K, the donut queen of San Diego. It's The Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Andrea Kay, telling you like it is, all while eating a donut. The Andrea Kay Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to The Andrea Kay Show. I'm Wendy Patrick filling in for my good friend, Andrea Kay. Well, we're almost there. We've talked about voting and polls and campaigning and the debate. Let's now, let's move along chronologically and talk about the election itself. What's it going to be like? What are the results going to be like? And probably most interestingly, when will we know the results? And what happens if those results are disputed? Now, we can't possibly talk about that without talking about a subject we teased before the break. And that is the president's confirmation of three, count them, three Supreme Court justices. Now, that's quite a feat, one that only a few others can discuss ever having achieved. Most presidents don't achieve anywhere near this accomplishment. And it's also true that the way in which these came about was a little bit unusual. Now, first of all, uh, the late Justice Ginsburg leaves a loving, wonderful, important, powerful legacy. God bless her. But nobody predicted when she was going to pass away, hence creating a vacancy very close in time to the election. No doubt, and of course we can't argue with this, it was the closest confirmation that we've ever had. Doesn't necessarily mean it shouldn't have taken place, but it is noteworthy in its proximity to the election. But now we have Justice Barrett. And the fact that we now have a conservative 6-3 on the majority means that should there be an election dispute, as many people are predicting, that newly confirmed Justice Barrett would be on the court that decides 
that dispute. We also can't talk about this issue without reminiscing just a bit about the year 2000. I remember it like it was yesterday. Many of our listeners probably do as well. Who decided ultimately the result of the Bush-Gore election? It was the Supreme Court who effectively in a 5-4, remember they were at full strength, there are nine justices, in a 5-4 decision halted the Florida recount, which in effect handed the decision and the presidency to President Bush. Many people are looking at that and thinking this is just a little too close to home and they are worried that the same type of thing might occur here. Now that's probably why uh, many were predicting that during ju then Judge Barrett's confirmation hearing, well, we gotta ask her about recusal. When are you going to recuse yourself? Not recognizing that recusal is a very high bar and recusal is up to the justice. Recusal, recusal isn't up to the people or up to the parties or up to the, the attorneys that are arguing the case. It's actually up to the judge and the bar is very high. Can the justice be fair? And in this case, Justice Barrett has, has really much said that she's going to be fair and that she would not recuse herself. But we also need to look at some of the factors that might impact how long it's going to take to count all those ballots and what some of those decisions might be. So having presided over and worked on as many campaigns as you have, obviously you can't predict what's going to happen, but what are some of the factors that might impact, first of all, how quickly we're going to be able to count these ballots and what might implicate the challenges that are going to be brought, no doubt, as to the integrity of the election results? I mean, that's, that, that's a great question. And I think it's something that not a lot of us are, like we really know um, how quickly this is, this is going to be decided, right? So, so some of the things that to, to bring to bear on this, you know, there are gonna be challenges on, you know, what ballots can be accepted, what ballots can't, you know, are they, are they signed properly? Are they, are they not? We see these time again in, in elections um, when, when, there, when there are ballot disputes. I would think that they're going to happen all over the, the country um, because I think that the margins are going to be that thin. But you've seen some of the, the state Supreme Courts and, and, and our Supreme Court come, come down now that a lot of these ballots won't be accepted after Election Day. So I, th I think that's a big kind of milepost to, to look at. That's, I think that bears in favor for, for the president. You know, if we're thinking that a bunch of these mail-in ballots are Joe Biden folks, but they're not going to be until, you know, because of the parameters and the rules and you have to get it in at a certain time and plain and simple, some folks, some of those ballots just won't and, and they will be challenged. And, you know, I think that's right. And uh, we're talking with uh, Mark Williams, by the way, who has significant experience um, being chief of staff to a variety of of Congress people and, and running campaigns and just a, a real seasoned professional um, and a Republican strategist, you know, and given the, the amount of campaigns that you've run successfully, I know you played a significant role in 11 winning house races. That is a pretty good record. So it's not a surprise you were handpicked by the GOP conference to lead the high profile intelligence committee investigation into Russia's influence. So it is that experience I'd like to ask you about in connection with the, the concern that actually both sides have um, of foreign interference. Is that likely, uh, do you think, going to be one of the significant factors that might complicate 
the acceptance of the election results, given that so many people have heard the reports, just like you and I and our listeners have, and believe that, well, we really can't trust those results as much as we'd like to because of all the reports, the credible reports of potential foreign interference. I, I, I think so. Look, the, the, the reports are 1,000% credible. Um, they're, you know, it's, it's China and Russia are definitely trying to, to meddle in this election. Um, you know, they've, they've gone after some of the, uh, the voter files, um, but, but we don't know what, what that does to, to the outcome, you know, if they, if they were able to get them, whatnot. Um, but I do think um, that, that, you know, it, that's, a, that's a very credible threat. Um, but I don't think that that changes the, the outcome of the election. Look, in the past, when, when they, have, they have tried to meddle, it hasn't been at the actual tabulation of, of votes, right? It's been around the edges and trying to persuade people to vote in a certain way. Is that going on right now? I think one would have to assume that, that, that that's happening. Um, but at the end of the day, it's going to be about numbers. It's going to be about vote numbers. Um, and I don't think that that interference is going to play a role in, in what the actual vote numbers are. And that's an interesting point you bring up because it's, it's undeniable that momentum translates into math. But it's also undeniable that in the last election cycle, and you can attest to this given that you actually investigated this, it was true that the interference that was documented didn't allegedly, even by those, even by the detractors of the president, impact the vote counts. And that doesn't appear to be true here either. So one of the things that I know people are asking about, I know this because I look at the most Googled questions and what's trending just like everybody else does, is people are worried that their ballot won't count. Um, that may be another factor that causes a delay in counting and recounting and everything else that's involved in analyzing the integrity of election results. Uh, there's a difference if it's mail-in balloting versus absentee versus live early voting. Uh, people that have replaced their votes, although it's hard to believe that's going to account for a significant percentage of voters. It's interesting, if nothing else. It's interesting, but I, I don't right. know if that's going to push either candidate over the finish line. But what do we say and how do we assure people that for, for whom this election really matters, not the significant percentage of the American public, that in fact, regardless of how they chose to vote, that their ballot will count. I, like, I, I think because of the interference that happened last time, we put in measures to, to protect the tabulations this time, right? And, and, and that was a significant part of the investigations that were done both in the Senate and, and the House to make sure that our election integrity was solid. The actual tabulation and submission of votes was, was solid. Now look, around the parameters and influence of those, that's still going to happen, right? And, and and you can see that just you know via via the social networks today. Um, but I think just in my heart of hearts, the actual tabulation and submission of votes, I think is as solid as as it has been. Yes, and you have to believe as you 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 bring up a great point. No doubt, due to elections in the past. I mean, look at all the safeguards that were put into place after the two thousand election and the hanging chads. I mean, we still right. all remember that. So you have to believe that over the years, we've just streamlined this process, it's gotten easier, it's gotten better. Nonetheless, it's also undeniable that there are significant instances of voter fraud because there are reports of that. Now they're few and far between is what the naysayers would, would allege, um, but it's not 
infrequent enough to make people worried. And if you watch, you know, some of the footage on Twitter, it is also true that there can be potentially tampering sometimes. Now, the larger question is, is there really enough of those instances to even make a dent if they occur at all in what the result will be? But I do want to point one thing out that I think people should do if they're worried about it. Ballots can be properly rejected if they fail to meet specific criteria that are demanded by the jurisdiction in which somebody is voting. That's especially relevant for people to know if they've chosen to vote by mail. For example, if a ballot's return without a signature or it doesn't match the signature on file or doesn't have the proper envelope, we can go on and on, but there are safeguard measures in place, are there not, to make sure that only validly filled out ballots are accepted? Yep, no, that, 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 that's, that's for sure. But no, we, we, we've put the safeguards in that ballots that are done properly will definitely be accepted. But look, as with any election, as has happened, you know, for at least as long as I've been involved, there are going to be disputed ballots and that's going to happen. this right. time. And we have to be we have to be prepared to, to deal with that, especially with everything that's at, that's at stake and how much under a magnifying glass this election is. I think that's right. And, you know, let's let's just close out the show by stating, you know, as Americans, we all care about the same things. We're, there's more than, that unites us than divides us when it comes to the kitchen table issues, health, wealth, um, violence and the virus. I mean, I could go on and on. We want to make sure we leave this country a better place for our children. Um, I think the difference of opinion is how do we best get there? So with that in mind, however you vote, please do so. Thank you very much for joining us tonight for another interesting, always provocative discussion of politics. You are listening to The Andrea Kay Show. I am Wendy Patrick filling in for my good friend, Andrea Kay. Have a great evening.